the weekly podcast from the First Church of Christ in East Palestine, Ohio. We're glad you've decided to join us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all back from this chaotic week that we've had with this train derailment and evacuation process. Thank God that it's, it could have been a lot worse. Thank him for, I think it's been, it was a miracle that uh, there was no accidents. And I'd like to thank the first responders that did a miraculous job keeping our, our community safe. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together here in your house to worship you and praise you and glorify your holy name. Heavenly Father, we thank you for watching our, over our community, Lord, and keeping us safe, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the first responders who did a miraculous job as they took care of the situation, and we're thankful for them, Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon each and every one of us here and those who aren't able to be with us, Lord. Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing on the message that we hear today, that we would bring somebody closer to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. As we gather once again at the Lord's table, we must realize that God made a solemn covenant with us. He promised to be our God. We read of this in the book of Psalms, chapter 48, verse 14, which says, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. This is his royal grant and kingly pledge to his people. He gives himself to us forever. What he is in himself, he is to us for our own good and blessing. His wisdom is ours to counsel and direct us. His power is ours to protect. His justice is ours to justify us and declare us not guilty. His holiness is ours to sanctify us and make us pure. His goodness is ours to love us and to shower us with blessings. We have the privilege of being adopted into the divine family of God. The Lord is our shepherd and the sheep of his pasture shall lack nothing. God himself is the portion of our inheritance in the next world as well as our cup in this world. He has prepared for us a marvelous city called heaven and so he is not ashamed to be called our God. Shall we not make a promise to God in return? We should promise to be his own people. We should resign. We should surrender and give up our whole selves and body and soul and spirit to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, promising that we will serve him faithfully and walk closely with him in all manner of obedience all our days. Shall we pray? Dear God, our Father in heaven, We've surrendered our life over to you through accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior in hope of spending eternity with you. Heavenly Father, we know your Son went to that cross of his own free will to free us from all our sin. And Father, we know with our commitment to be obedient to you will be everlasting. We ask for your blessing upon this bread and juice as we take it in a worthy manner in remembrance of our love for you by giving us your son, Jesus Christ, as the ultimate sacrifice. 
We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Morning, folks. Please take an opportunity to look at the bulletin. Uh, just a few announcements. Call to your attention. There's a board meeting this afternoon after second service, so if you're a member of the board, please try to be present with that. Also, our super sandwich dinners on uh, Wednesday night. Because we missed last week, things have changed. So if you plan to bring soup, please check the dates for when you're bringing the soup on the bulletin board. Uh, we have the soup that's coming this week in the bulletin. So the one who was going to bring it last week will bring it this week, and we're moving it forward each week. So please check the bulletin board to make sure you bring soup, if you would, on the right day. Uh, please look over the other announcements, uh, and especially the prayer request, if you would. Please, of course, continue to keep the people in our town in your prayers, uh, and uh, those who were first responders. Uh, it's hard to tell how what an impact that has made on in their lives. Uh, pl uh, please add Veronica Caparel to your list. This is Joe's mother. She had a stroke, and she also has uh, COVID-19. So Veronica Caparel, if you'd had her, or add her to the list. And Sean Rabb there has cancer. This is Vel's uh, uh, son-in-law. Uh, they told him he could get chemo or he could go home and basically just wait to die and he decided to go ahead and have chemo, so uh, God's going to need to intervene here. Please keep him in your prayers concerning that, and please look at the other list to remember these people in your daily prayers. Let's take a moment to go to God in silent prayer. Amen. Well, as a community, we experienced a very traumatic event this last week, uh, the train wreck brought havoc and, of course, fear and danger to our town. I'm told that there were over 50 different fire departments that responded to the train wreck. Chief Steve Seakey with Mahoning County Hasmac was one of the first responders. Not one of the first ones there at the scene, but he, he was one of the first responders. And uh, I mentioned him because of the way he described what he saw when he got here. According to WKBN, he said, the only way I can describe it is like the doors of hell were open. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. We certainly do not have to give thanks for a train wreck. But when we face certain circumstances, even though it was terrible and, and frightening and shocking accident, we find there are many things we can be thankful for. And of course, first of all, we can be thankful for our first responders. Uh, these folks who went there put their lives in danger, and they put their lives on hold. Their families are somewhere else huddled up, and there they are in the front lines. And man, that really, really, really appreciate that. So. Even though we don't have a lot of first responders here, let's give them a hand of applause. Can we do that? We appreciate them so very much. When you think of the incident, there are so many things we could be thankful for. Thankful that no one was killed or seriously injured, and that's just amazing if you, if you saw the accident on television. We can be thankful it wasn't worse if it happened down here in the center of town. Think of what would have happened. 
We can be thankful that the evacuation is over and, and people are now back home. And we can be thankful for those who were there to help. I don't know how many phone calls you received, but I received many phone calls from people saying, hey, do you need a place to stay? Come here. We can be thankful uh, for people like, like that. When I got in the office Thursday morning, there were over 30 messages on my phone to, to listen to. And most of them were people saying, we're praying for you. People saying, do you need anything? Many of our surrounding churches called to say, hey, do you need any supplies? Anything you need? Any way we can help? IDES called. Do you remember IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services? That's one of our missions. This summer, when we had the walk for the Ukraine, we gave the money we raised to IDES so they could make sure the money got to Ukraine and was used correctly. They called and said, hey, uh, how are you guys doing? Do you need anything? So you have to appreciate all those people who offered help in different ways. Those who said, hey, if there's no place for your cats and dogs, bring them to my house. And there are a lot of people who said things like that. So we can be thankful for a lot of things. But with that being said, the train wreck was a terrible accident and turned people's lives upside down. People were frightened, and many are still frightened. There are some who are afraid to move back in their homes. Uh, one person told me they have a friend who said they're never coming back. They're never going to enter their home again. They're putting it up for sale with everything in it. The kids missed a week of school. People missed work. Businesses lost income. People were exposed uh, to at least some toxic chemicals and fumes. And now they're concerned about the future health. And although they've returned home, some people won't drink the water. In fact, they're warning some people with wells to be careful. So to say at least, it's been a stress-filled week. So I decided to preach from the book of James this morning. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is the one who, of course, wrote this book with the help of the Holy Spirit. James begins the book by talking about the number one issue facing the people in his day, the people that he's writing to. They were facing trials. They were facing troubles and hardships and suffering. He's writing to Christians that had to leave their home, not because of a train wreck, but because of persecution. Some of them had family members in prison. Some had been beaten. Some had been very wealthy when they were in Jerusalem. Now they have lost everything. Uh, their homes, their business, their savings was all taken from them. They had been established. Now they had to start all over again. Along with that came the troubles and pressures and stresses of everyday life. And they're wondering, why have these troubles come upon us? And how are we as Christians to act in a time like this? So James deals with this right at the beginning of his letter. And what he says is vital for us to understand as Christians. It was important for them, and it's important for us. Now, James begins by saying, uh, decide to have a joyful attitude. James 1.2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I want you to notice just a few things in these verses. First of all, he tells us trials will come. He doesn't say, if you face trials, he says, whenever you face trials. Life for a Christian is not trouble-free, and we all know that. I'm going to name some Bible characters, and as I name these characters, when I name a character who had a trouble-free life, what I would like you to do is yell, hallelujah, okay? So when I name one that had a trouble-free life, let's begin with Adam. Well, he had a trouble-free life when he was in paradise, but then 
his son killed his other son. He was kicked out of the guard. A lot of problems. So how about Noah? Uh, we can't say hallelujah there. He certainly did not have a trouble-free life. Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Job, Daniel, Esther, John the Baptist, Mary the mother of Jesus, Peter, James, John, Paul. No hallelujahs because they all had trouble in their life. Here's the thing. If you wait to have a trouble-free life before you say hallelujah, you're never going to say hallelujah. Trials will come. God's greatest servants were not exempt, and we're not exempt. The next thing James tells us is these trials will be varied. James says whenever you face many trials, he, he, he's saying all trials are not the same. They come in different sizes and different shapes and different intensity, intensities, different durations. Some trials hit us harder than other trials. Some problems are fender bender problems. Others are like head-on collisions. Some problems cards cause heartache. Uh, other problems might cause a coronary. Uh, some lose their keys while others lose their loved ones. Some lose their wallets, others lose their business. One gets a heartache and others suffer, like I said, a coronary. Trials come in all shapes and, and sizes. They come through a rebellious teenager or a thoughtless spouse. They come through a diagnosis of a doctor or, or maybe the death of a loved one. They come through natural disasters. We, we, we were so focused on what happened here this week that you know, there was a 7.8 earthquake in Turkey that killed thousands upon thousands of people. Trials come through accidents, a slip on the ice, a car not stopping at a stop sign, a train wreck. John 16:33, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Trials come in various shapes and, and sizes, but no matter what trial comes, God gives us this command. He says, consider it pure joy. He's telling us to make a deliberate decision in times of trouble to have a deep down joy in our heart. Now when you hear that, when you read that, it's kind of shocking. In fact, it might make you even a little angry at God when you hear that. Here you are wondering if you're ever going to smile again, if you're ever going to look forward to getting out of bed again, if that pain in your heart will ever go away, if life will ever get back to normal and God is telling you to consider it pure joy when you go through these trials. Now one reason I think this command is so shocking to so many people is they misunderstand it. Christian joy is not simply about smiling and having a good time. Christian joy is not the same as simply happiness. You know the word happiness comes from the word happening. In order for us to be happy we have to have Good things happen to us, good circumstances. But that's not the case with Christian joy. Christian joy is a deep sense of well-being or a feeling of delight that is based on our spiritual realities, not necessarily the things that are happening around us. We can be filled with joy and at the same time 
not be happy. In Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas. They're in the Philippian jail. They're in prison. They've been flogged. They're chained. And yet we read at midnight, they're singing songs of praise to God. Were they happy? No. No one is happy after being whipped 39 times with leather uh, straps. No one is happy when uh, their flesh on their back is torn and seeping blood. No one is happy when they are falsely accused of a crime and, and throw it into jail. No one is happy when their legs and, and arms are stretched out and chained and they can't move and they're getting charley horses. Paul and Silas, they were not happy there in that Philippian jail. But even though they weren't happy, they were filled with joy. Because no matter what people did to them, no matter what circumstances they found themselves in, the spiritual realities that they had in Jesus Christ still gave them a deep sense of well-being. Later on, Peter's, uh, Paul's going to be released from prison. He's going to end up going again into prison in Rome. And from there, from that prison, he's going to write to the Philippians. And he's going to say to them, rejoice always. There he is in prison saying, rejoice always. How could he do that? Because he realized that having joy was not merely having a good day. We as Christians can have joy under the worst circumstances. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, In all my troubles, my joy knows no bounds. So this, don't, don't misunderstand what James is saying. He is not suggesting that we take trials lightly. He, he's not in, in times of trouble, uh, heartache, sorrow, illness, death, divorce, disaster. He's not saying that we glibly say, praise the Lord. He's not saying that we be exuberant in the time of trouble. He's not ordering us to have this all-encompassing, joyful emotion in a time of trouble. He's certainly not saying that we should enjoy our troubles. That, that's a problem if you're enjoying your troubles. Now, I know some Christians who think that that's what God expects, and I hear them say silly things. You have a broken leg. Praise God, you have a broken leg. No, you can be thankful to God for... While you have this broken leg, some of the blessings that you do have and the spiritual realities, but God doesn't want your leg broken, and he doesn't want you praising him because you have a broken leg. Some Christians just misunderstand that. He is not asking us to pretend to be happy when we want to cry. What he is saying is when you face trials as a Christian, when, when you consider your troubles, when you think about them, when you, when you maul them over, there are reasons why you can have a deep, down, solid joy that the world does not know and the world cannot take away from you. So James begins by telling us, decide to be joyful. But he doesn't stop there. He continues and he tells us how to accomplish this seemingly impossible task. He tells us, develop an understanding mind. Verse 3 begins, because you know. Because we as Christians know certain things, because we understand certain things, we can face trials with a joyful attitude. He tells us trials develop perseverance. Verse 3 says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. R.A. Torrey was a preacher a few generations ago, and a great preacher. 
and he and his wife ran through a time of heartache when their 12-year-old daughter died in an accident. He said it was a time for him to really examine his faith, to really think about what he believed. Was his daughter in heaven, or was she just in that box in the ground? Was what the Bible taught about heaven real, or just fiction? Did God understand what he and his wife were going through? And did he care? So it was a time of questioning, a time of testing. And it caused him to become stronger and more steadfast in his faith. He never thought about quitting. He never thought about leaving the faith. It gave him the comfort and and it helped him to persevere. We don't like trials. We don't like troubles. We don't ask for them. We don't want them. But when they come, we can have a reason for rejoicing. They solidify our faith. They cause us to examine our faith, and they cause us to realize that the promises that God has made us are true. James also tells us trials help us mature. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may mature and complete, complete not lacking anything. That you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Trials help us to grow up. Suffering and sorrow help us to mature. Physically, we must grow up from a child to adulthood. Spiritually, we must grow up also. There are many things that help us mature spiritually. Bible study, prayer and fasting, worship, giving. And suffering is on that list also. Suffering makes us look at life differently. It makes us take our responsibility to God more seriously. It stops us in our track and it says, listen, listen, there's more to life than the here and now. Listen, there's more to life than just fulfilling your selfish desires. Trials help us focus our attention, you see, on where it ought to be. It helps us to mature. And that leads us to James' last point. And he says, that we need to direct our focus on the right person and the right prize. When we're facing trials and troubles, we need to focus on the right things. First of all, the, uh, the right person is God. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You see, trials stand as a reminder that, that we need God's help. We need his comfort. We need his presence. We need his grace. We need his mercy. And we need his wisdom that comes from above. And he promises here to give us that wisdom if we ask without doubting. Now, God doesn't always let you know everything that's going on. Uh, Why you are facing a particular trial, you might never know that. Why it happened to you or your child or your spouse or a family member. He doesn't necessarily tell you how long the trial will last or the outcome of the trial or how your troubles are going to affect other people. God hasn't promised to tell you that, but he has given you wisdom. He promises to give you wisdom for the moment. 
the wisdom you need in the troubles you're in. It's like this, you know, you go out of town and maybe you go to a restaurant, you stay there a long time, when it's time to come home, it's dark. So you get in your car and you turn the car on, you turn your lights on, but you can't see your home because the lights only shine a couple hundred feet. So what do you do? You turn off the car and you say, I'm going to sit here and wait till morning. That's not what you do. The lights go, you know, a couple hundred feet and you drive a couple hundred feet and the light gives you enough light to go a little more and a little more and a little more until you finally reach home. The lights give you what you need for the moment. And that's the same thing with trials. If you ask without doubting, God will give you the wisdom. He will give you the light that you need for the moment. You trust him, you continue on, and he'll give you that light you need to go a little further. We need to direct our focus on the right person. God is there to help us. And James also tells us we need to direct our focus on the right prize. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be a Christian if it wasn't for that prize. I wouldn't be a Christian if it weren't for heaven. It's that prize that keeps us going in good times and in bad times. That promise of eternal life. An eternal home where there is no sorrow or uh, uh, pain or, or tears or, or death. A glorious union with Christians, loved ones who have gone on before us. We're going to receive new and imperishable bodies. And we're going to be in the presence of our living God. And that is what keeps us going in this world. That's what keeps us going in times of troubles and, and trials. I just read a book uh, the other day. Uh, where this, this guy says, he's a Christian writer, but he has everything messed up. Got to watch that. There are all kinds of books out there. Just because they write it doesn't mean it's true. And uh, this guy says, he says, being a Christian isn't about heaven. It isn't about the future. It's about doing good here. Well, would you do good here if it wasn't for heaven? <laughs> would you do good here if it wasn't for the future? No, we ought to do good as Christians. But the Christian life is about heaven. It's about eternity. It's about spending eternity with God. Jesus came to save us, that we can have eternal life, because life here is just temporary. Life in this world. He came to save us, and he went to prepare a place for us that he might take us to where he is. The prize is heaven, and if we keep our eyes on heaven, it will help us as we face troubles here in this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles... I love that when he says that because he has just listed all his troubles and they were anything but light and light. But he says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us the eternal glory that outweighs them all. He says, so we fix our eyes not at what is seen. Isn't that what we want to do? We fix our eyes on what we have here. We fix our eyes on what we see in this world. We fix our eyes on our troubles. Paul says, don't do that. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on 
what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal. All those troubles we're going through, the difficulties we're going through, they're all temporal. But what is unseen is eternal. Jesus came and he died that we can have eternal life with him in heaven. If you're here as a Christian, this is advice that you need to heed and you need to take. It's advice that will help you whatever trials and tribulations you may find yourself going through because you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you don't have that promise of eternal life in heaven with God. And as you face these troubles in this world, you don't have God that you can turn to for the help and assurance that you need. But you can have that because God loved you so much he gave his son to die that you can have eternal life. And the Bible says to have eternal life, we need to have faith that leads us to repent of our sins, confess Christ, and be baptized into him. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we'd love to give you an opportunity to become one. If you walk forward as we sing invitation hymn, we'll take your confession and we can baptize you into Christ Jesus this morning. If you're thinking of doing that and you haven't done it, I hope what happened this past week is a wake-up call. You don't know that you have tomorrow. And you should not put off that decision you need to make for Jesus Christ. Let's stand as we sing together. Thanks for listening. If you would like to join us in person, we meet on Sundays at 845 and 11 a.m and on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Have a great week.